but there there has to be a way to let them know it's it is absolutely fine to and and it's appropriate it's a boundary that you are setting to tell your healthcare professional i want this in my chart so it is a, a flag that everyone will see and it's okay to and if you can't during the visit because maybe face to face is difficult or you're now triggered just because you're walking into the doctor's office it's fine to send them a message or call them at a different time when you're not being triggered to say I want this on my record. Please don't ask me about X, Y, and Z. And certainly if it's a paper chart, which I honestly miss, but <laughs> I miss the days of paper charts. And we, you know, at the front, we always had, we're able to put a sticky saying, you know, don't bring X, you know this up with the patient or they're sensitive about this. So there is always a way to do that. Welcome to the Full Stop Podcast with me, Berenice Howard-Smith, Michael Hughes and Sarah Lawrence. The award-winning Full Stop Monthly Podcast is an ongoing conversation that began in May 2019. Our guests bring their authentic voices to a wide range of topics that share a connection with childlessness. Our hope is that with our guests, we can help you craft your own narrative and explore what it means to be part of the childless community. You're warmly invited to continue the conversation in our online Full Stop community, which is open to all who are childless not by choice for any reason. Here you can discuss the podcast episodes, meet the guests, chat to us, and create new connections and friendships. We welcome all to listen to our stories, to inform those who do not identify as childless, so they can begin to understand and support childless not by choice friends, colleagues, and relatives. This episode spans across three continents with our guest, Gail Miller. Gail works in healthcare in the US and through her personal story, came to realize how many exclusions there were for childless people. She identified how lack of knowledge in healthcare education on childlessness influenced how patients and colleagues were treated and vowed to do something about it. Listen to find out how. And if you work in any area where you're in regular contact with children, such as educational hospitality, you may find some of the approaches in this episode helpful to you. I do. What if I kind of do different voices? Because you used to be able to different sat-nav voices, didn't you? I always wanted the um, Brian Blessed one. Um, Really? I didn't know know there were different options for voices. I'll have to look at that. Used to be. My brother-in-law loves the Australian one. So um, just a in, the, in the UK, but he puts the Australian one on, on his really? center. Yeah. I've never investigated our sat-nav to that degree. I just sit there and, and we get along just fine. Me and sat-nav lady, we're cool. It's everyone else that gets in the car and tries to steer us off course. <laughs> and I don't know which one it is. It might, is it Tom Tom? I can't remember. But one of them, when you change it to Australian, it will say something like, uh, you know, g'day, some of these cliche words, and then, um, if you've gone to a beach, it'll say, you know, you're here. So um, if you're going for lunch, don't let the seagulls pinch your chips. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is that? Anyway. 
I didn't think about worldwide seagulls pinching chips. I always think it's a phenomenon um, attributed to Cornwall, um, particularly St. Thai. Oh, oh, no, they're, they're, they're vicious here, as oh, well as the kookaburras. Yeah, I've lost an ice cream oh. one, and Kenny lost the entire pasty. Oh, do you know, I, I love them. I think they're amazing. I, I remember my, one of my favourite memories of my granddad. He had, he'd saved the biggest chip drenched in vinegar and he was you could tell he was salivating at the, the prospect of this last chip at the bottom of his cone and he, he drew it out and he just he got it just to his lips and this, this seagull went woof and literally he, fe- he felt the feathers across his face he's like oh you bastard <laughs> <laughs> and my granddad never used to swear <laughs> oh my goodness he was gutted <laughs> oh they are I didn't realize they'll get like come at you. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. crazy. That's scary. Welcome oh, again yeah. to the Madhouse of Seagulls and the podcast. Who knows? We digress completely. Um, Steam always gets us somewhere talking at the start, doesn't it? And complaining about um about um voices and recordings. How are you this morning, Gail? I am good, thank you. How are all of you? We're okay. We're good to be here. We've and got. thank you for getting up so early. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and as, as you know, I explained that I have a new puppy. So I was up. <laughs> I happened to be up today. That wasn't the plan. This was a last-minute decision to get adopt this new puppy <laughs> about a week ago. So, yeah. They are absolutely. So what sort of what sort of breed? He's a mini Aussie. Oh, okay. Mini, yeah, mini Australian Shepherd. And we have three others who are in the bedroom right now. But um, yeah, he is. Oh, gosh. Oh, he's, well, he's quite, wow. quite, the, he's a, quite the handful. <laughs> it's been oh. a long time since we had a puppy puppy. So, yeah. Yeah. In that case, you do know they're worth it. But just, yeah. yes. 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 They absolutely are. Yeah, yeah, and it does all sink in. Yeah, eventually that those all those commands they do come back after they've done the two year old running around. Going yeah, thing. Yeah, okay, good. Lovely, yeah. you know that. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I, we've always had for I've always had a few dogs at a time. So you know, but I've never actually adopted a puppy puppy. Mm. Um, so the last two that we adopted, they were brother and sister. Um, they were eight months, which is still, you know, puppy, but not that really puppy stage with the biting and <laughs> yeah, that's so this has been a kind of a oh, a learning experience. I haven't dealt with this and <laughs> I dealt with it in my A levels and my grandparents. Um was it A levels? I can't remember when it was, and my grandparents had a um, they've always had rescue dogs and one of them um, arrived and she had 12, 12 puppies. So they had 1.14 dogs. Appeared in the local paper, they came around to take pictures. And if you can imagine the chaos of the newspaper reporter and the camera person trying to take a photograph <laughs> of all these dogs. Oh my gosh. It, it was ridiculous. So I've always kind of gone, yeah, okay, no, no, I, I've done my time with that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but yeah, they are lovely, very, very lovely. Yeah, and it's worth it in the end. So yeah, it is. Yeah, totally worth it. Yes. So I, I guess we should 
do introductions, really. Yeah. So, <laughs> You're ten minute, we're 10 minutes in. You're I know. Sure. We've done ships, we've done dogs. <laughs> so, Gail, I mean, obviously it, it might be many of our listeners may not um, be familiar with you and your work. So I was wondering if you could sort of talk a little bit about who you are and what you do and how you come to be on this podcast, I guess. Sure, absolutely. So um, so I'm Gail Miller. I am, ironically, if you want to say that, I am a maternal fetal medicine doctor. So I take care of women with high-risk pregnancies which people never fail to point that out to me that I am childless, not by choice. And I still do this, this work, which is, I do part-time. Um, and I'm also a life coach for women who are childless, not by choice, because that was, that's my journey. And when I was at the point in my life, and I don't know if you want the, my whole story, but when I reached the point in my life where I was like, okay, this is, I have to accept this and I have to do the work, work through this. Um, I had a wonderful therapist and a wonderful coach. Neither one was childless and neither one fully understood what I was going through. Um, my therapist even at one point said, oh, she didn't acknowledge that she didn't know. She actually said to me, oh, I know how you feel because I had a high-risk pregnancy. And I thought, okay, I, I would never minimize someone's grief over having a high-risk pregnancy because that does cause grief as well. But no, you don't know what it feels like. You went home with twins you don't know what it feels like to know that that will never happen for you. And so I actually worked with my therapist for family stuff and decided, okay, I'm not going to talk to her about this because she doesn't get it. And my coach, it said, I will never understand. I mean, nobody understands what anybody else is going through. We're each walking in you know, different different path, different shoes. But, um, you know, she acknowledged this is not my experience, but I'm here to help you. And so what she helped me with was like, I learned how to kind of coach myself. Um, and that's when I was, when I finally came to, okay, I can enjoy life again. It's not the life that I had planned at all, but I can enjoy life. And also acknowledge that I'm still sad about this and I will have, you know, triggers, et cetera. But um, I now need to help other people with this. And so that's when I said, okay, I want to become a coach because that's what helped me the most. And um, I'm not putting down therapists. My therapist was wonderful in other ways, but that was what helped me and so I specifically went to through training for to become a life coach so that I could help women um, who are childless, not by choice. And, you know, the life coaching is always in general. But in the meantime, I was studying on my own, reading about, you know, the psychology, the, you know, the emotions and, and you know, all the studies on women and men who are childless not by choice not to exclude men but coaching men is very different than women 
Um, and so because my life has been working with women and understanding at least how to how to speak to women and you know I most women are like you want to talk about your emotions and most men are like yeah just get to the point <laughs> and don't really want don't really want to go through all the and I am the kind of person who's like yeah let's go through all the, the stuff and so my my choice was to you know work with women um, who are childless not by choice. And that's what I do. But what has come up, well, I mean, what I had always heard from, from my patients, you know, long time would be those who would have, you know, let's say pregnancy losses and, you know, now they are pregnant, but it is still a trauma. Even if you are now pregnant, even if you've gone through a successful pregnancy and you've had a child having a pregnancy loss, is a trauma and you will feel the effects of that regardless. And they would tell me the things that doctors would say, doctors, nurses, it's, it, you know, it's everyone in healthcare. Oh, well, at least it was early or someone who had a stillbirth. Um, well, at least you didn't deliver the child, raise the child and then lose it. There's no, at least there's, there's pain. Um, and so that was what I had experienced in, you know, talking to my patients. And then as I was working with women who are now childless, not by choice, now I'm hearing the other stories that I'd also experienced, but thought, okay, it just must be me. And that was, you know, the, the insensitive comments about being childless, the assumptions the um, the assumption that it's okay to bring it up when it's not even necessary for the appointment. And so that's when I, you know, I've gathered these stories and it's like, I, I, I have to say something about this. And so I, one, one night it was actually, didn't have a puppy, but it was in the middle of the night. I woke up, couldn't sleep. I'm like, okay, I'm going to write this and sent this article um, because I was really hoping it's a it's a healthcare forum, and so I was really hoping to reach people in healthcare so they would understand these things are not okay to say and to ask about and these assumptions. And so that's what brought me to to this topic. Yeah, long winded answer. So. <laughs> No, it's a very interesting answer. It's interesting. I, I was reading the article, and it was obviously it wasn't just childlessness because you've got a foot in in basically both camps, haven't you? Yeah. So you can kind of see, I guess, that holistic picture. But I guess the what I took away from it was the fact that you could be going in with a sore throat, and then that becomes the topic of our, you know, the questioning is, are you pregnant or or, or something along those lines? And I guess it's. That's what stayed with me was because I would imagine and correct me if I'm wrong, Michael, please tell me if I'm wrong. If if a chap goes in with a sore throat, are they going to be asking you about, oh, no, your genitalia? I wouldn't have thought so because it's just irrelevant, isn't it? Uh, No, they wouldn't. But for women, (laughs) apparently a sore throat means that then you can start asking very intrusive questions. Yeah. Yeah, you had it at the dentist as well. When I've been to the dentist, literally just to walk in, and I actually walked out 
because it had no relevance to the fact that I was just signing into the practice, literally signing in as a new patient. And it was, are you at risk? Are you pregnant? Well, what's that got to do with signing up? Because actually, when we think about the process of signing up to the point where you might need your first appointment, could be that not now, but then, or maybe I am now, but not later. And and it's sometimes the inquiry part as well. When you're actually just making a gentle inquiry, it can come up as a question, not actually when you're facing treatment as well, doesn't it? It's, it's bizarre that we're asked so much. Yes, yes. It, you know, what's interesting is that very recently, um, in a physician group that I'm in, someone anonymously, so I don't know this person, but posted asking like if the situation that happened was okay. And it happened to be a male at a staff meeting, the manager, the practice manager brought up that your coverage for was now allowed for IVF. I don't know if that's the case where you are, but most most places don't cover IVF, most insurance and most employers. Um, and so this was a change and she was bringing it up and explaining and then said in front of everybody brought up and said, well, hopefully Dr. So-and-so you won't need this coverage. Why is that? And so why is that okay? You know, you're talking about something. I mean, there wasn't a question. It wasn't this person said he's never brought this up before. There's, you know, no issues that he knows of. He's not trying to have a child now. But why would you even joke about this? This is having a child, whether it's you conceive by on your own or IVF or you can't have a child. It is the one of the most, if not the most personal of things. And so why do people think it's okay to talk about it and to just bring it up and ask about other people? It comes up a lot actually recently in our thread stuff. We've just joined threads and this is actually something that popped up was that perception of it. And I was writing something the other day for World Childless Week because they've got the childless um, in the media and I was trying to do some research and it's amazing how how light-hearted in a way or joking there's a kind of a, a humor um about it and I was going back and looking through it and it was about actually it was about friends I went back to the tv show friends and how it was literally delivered the entire thing of about the characters Monica and Chanda not being able to have children as being kind of it was done for punchlines but actually if you were in the position at the time when you couldn't then you would feel it was you know literally it was punch and it was a light-heartedness of the whole thing um and the dismissiveness that I found just literally in like you know an hour of research of what was readily available how is how is infertility treated and childlessness just generally in popular culture particularly in the 90s there was a kind of like a start of it coming into I think kind of popular culture I guess because of maybe what happened 
in terms of IVF and Louise Brown, and then it became something that you know was put into narratives. But there were numerous examples. There's certainly, I think, in America, quite a bit. You know, Friends. There was the X Files. There's other things where they've picked up this story, but have literally gone. Here's the thing. It's a big problem. Now we're going to drop it and go on to something else because it's easy to get past. It was that perception of the ease of which people could kind of recover from it. And I think that still kind of lingers, I think, in people's minds, in in workplaces and inappropriate places, because it's meant to be easy. And almost every single storyline ended up with a miracle or adoption. Um, It becomes flimsy and lighthearted. And of course, it's not. Um, If people haven't been through it, they take where do they take it from? What they've seen and read in the media. It's scary. Yeah, exactly. And as you said, it was kind of a joke. It it turns into a joke. And in response to his post, because he posted asking, like, this was upsetting. Mm. And am I wrong to be upset? And what was more upsetting to me even was the hundreds of answers. And this is a physician group. So hundreds of answers from physicians oh, you're taking it too seriously. Don't, you know, you're too sensitive. You're this, this. And then I responded and I was like, no, no, I'm sorry. You are all wrong about this. And thankfully I had many people who responded to me saying, you know, exactly. But still the vast majority of these hundreds of replies from physicians, um, And I don't mean to be cutting down all of my colleagues, but the reality is in healthcare, it's used as a punchline or as a, um, it's just fertility status, reproductive history is just used as something, as a way to, you know, to establish rapport like in the general population, you know, people think, oh, asking about when are you going to have a baby or why don't you have kids or all of these questions. They think this is a way of getting to know someone and it's benign and it's anything but benign. But you would hope that people who are supposed to be caring for others would at least be open to understanding this is, you know, you're you're wrong about this, that this is not something you just use to establish rapport. This is a very sensitive topic. And so, um, yeah, it was really disturbing to see hundreds of responses telling this person, you're being too sensitive. Just take it as a joke. It's not a joke. It's personal. And you don't have the right to bring this up in front of in front of anybody, much less all of the staff and my colleagues. And so, um, Mm. yeah, there's a lot of disturbing um, behaviors and um, questions and comments. And again, I'm talking, this happened to be a physician group, but, you know, people hear this from the minute they walk in, like you said, sometimes it's in a form, sometimes it's the receptionist, just asking, you know, a medical assistant, a nurse, and no one stops to think how personal and how painful this could be for someone. It's it's funny you say that, girl, because I remember, um, I think we're going to have to pop a trigger warning on this one, um, but I remember after my miscarriage, um, I 
I had to go and get some antibiotics because I developed a um, an infection, unfortunately. And I remember talking, having have having to have repeated conversations with a receptionist around my medical uh, issue. You know, why do you why do you want this? What is this about? And I remember saying to them, with the greatest respect, you're not medically trained. You are just a receptionist. I don't want to keep having to repeat uh, what is a very painful story in an office because I was at work. And I, I got this real sense as well that there was this pervading culture of the receptionist having a right to um, ask some very invasive questions of somebody that was clearly in distress to justify why I needed help at a time when I was actually feeling very vulnerable and I I wonder I I, I sort of look at it now and I wonder if there is and I don't mean this to be quite so broad brush but I wonder if there's like a a pervading misogyny around the right to have that information and the right to ask those questions of a woman in a vulnerable situation I I wonder how do you find that do you find that too broad brush what do you think Oh, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. (laughs) Yeah, I think um, there is just this this overarching theme in society that um, one, you know, women and men should have children. I mean, that's so for even those who are child free by choice it's certainly not the same feeling when you're asked these questions, but they also, you know, feel the, the uncomfortable, the discomfort, and it's, you know, this is none of your business, but certainly when it's something that's painful to you. um, But there's just this, this worldwide view that that is the most important thing in the world. And so you know, we need, it's our business and we need to push you and we need to put our assumptions on you and we need to put our judgment on you. And um, it shouldn't exist anywhere, but it certainly shouldn't exist in healthcare because who then wants to go to a visit? Who wants to have to call when you know you're going to be prodded with questions that are not pertinent for someone who's scheduling um, or certainly, you know, you, you have to explain, say, you know, you know, I had a miscarriage, this is what's going on now, but you shouldn't have, so they know like how much time, I mean, at least in the States, it's like, do you get 10 minutes or do you get a 20 minute appointment? Like it's such limited time that you're allowed. Um, so so sometimes to that degree it's pertinent but the continued questioning is not um it, it just it just isn't especially since you will probably then have to repeat it cuz they're going to have you talk to the nurse and then you're going to they're going to have the nurse practitioner come out <laughs> and you know it's just not necessary and a little bit of empathy and sensitivity goes a long way. Um, But it's just so lacking the understanding of how painful and how personal this is, is just lacking. 
Yeah, completely. I mean, just by context, I mean, that was, so I had to have three conversations that day because they kept misplacing my notes. Uh, oh, yeah, we've made a note of it. Then the second time, yeah, yeah, sorry, we've, we've misplaced it. And then the third time, I basically, I said, right, that's it, I'm driving down there and I'm going to sit in the waiting room until one of you actually takes the time to talk to me properly and uh, somebody that is professionally trained. And I ended up making a complaint about it and um it didn't get very far, to be honest. There wasn't an awful lot of empathy in even considering the complaint. Um, and I wouldn't usually complain about it. I mean, it's a waste of everybody's time, if I'm honest with you. But such was my distress at being asked those questions by somebody, you know, three times. You yeah. don't really want it repeating again and again for other people that are in a similar position. Uh, and I'll be honest, the, the doctor wasn't much better. Um, we ended up, I'm not religious. and um, and that's absolutely no disrespect to anybody that is, but the conversation I had with the doctor was, well, God obviously didn't want your child to survive. And I was like, hang on, that's not the conversation we're having here. <laughs> you know, it's winning the world. I, I, you know, I don't want that brought in. I need you to be empathic and just sign me off work. That was the conversation. So it was uh, all ends up and not a good experience. And as you quite rightly say, it put me off going to the doctor's for a very long time afterwards. In fact, I still get uh, anxiety now when I go into the doctor about something gynecological or, or non-gynecological because I think, are they going to take me seriously? What is the conversation I'm going to end up having? Am I going to have to reference uh, my childlessness, you know, any of my infertility story? Just, um, you know, last time I went in, it was for something innocuous. It was, it was a skin thing. And I still had that anxiety. Are we going to end up talking about this? So, uh, it, yeah. so uh, I've had similar experiences yeah. to you, very similar, and actually still get very anxious going into the doctors. I'm just wondering how many of our listeners are the same. I really don't like going. You literally have to drag me there kicking and screaming because of the insensitivity. But also, again, I wasn't followed up on when I'd miscarried, and my issue was around the fact I had private IVF. Again, pop some triggers on here. So private IVF and also um, NHS IVF. But as far as the NHS goes, then the private IVF didn't count. But when it came to COVID and, of course, vulnerability in my immune system, everything dropped through the net. So I had to sort of start to piece that story together myself. It wasn't relevant then, but, of course, there was a gap in all of the information um, at a time when, of course, the healthcare system was under stress. And I have huge empathy with people working, particularly, I think, in, specifically in this country with the NHS. And it's a terrible state of affairs at the moment. And absolutely thoroughly support and grateful for the NHS. But these pockets of, of problems, the fact that you, Sarah, have had an incident, I've had an incident, and neither of us like going to the doctor. I mean, no one likes going to the doctor, but when you've got all of this kind of mind sweary yeah. um what stuff going on mess and tangled in your head about something that um and you think what you know what it, it's just even just going in and like the, the smell of the place everything about it one of the things I just wanted to ask um is we had a thing um a couple of days ago actually that I was talking to somebody about and um, about how um people how people can can 
move forward from that what's the best if you're in that situation and there is an issue people often can feel like they have no agency no power nothing clearly your your writing is wonderful that took much courage to do how did that feel for you and what would be your advice to anyone listening who's going look I've been in the situation a bit like Sarah a bit like Berenice and I've seen it all play out in the way that you've talked about, Gail. What what can I do? What is there any any way forward? Anything that I hate to say that victims have to educate people because I hate that that we have to explain that to people. But what's a good thing to do? What's a good action if people are into that situation and they find themselves really struggling? Sarah, I'm sure you've got some advice on this as well. I'll I'll let go. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, one, I, not that I'm, I'm not happy to hear this, but I, it's comforting to know it's not just a U.S. problem that, you know, the, the, this, the visits with physicians, with healthcare are often insensitive in general, unfortunately. And I was thinking it was just a U.S. thing. So um, that doesn't make it okay that it's elsewhere too, but it's, you know, I guess nice to, I don't know how to phrase that, but it's good to know it's not just a U.S. problem. Now, that doesn't make it okay. Um, So, you know, it is, it's a trigger going to, I mean, nobody wants to go to the doctor. I, I don't or to the doctor. Um, and I've been in those situations as well where they they won't listen, they they don't want to take the time. And and I get it. I'm in practice still to a small degree. So I get that we don't have a lot of time, but there is a way to not make your patient feel like you know they're just on this um, you know production line and there's a way to to not make them feel like you don't have the time to listen to them um but that being said that will take a whole lot of education of you know healthcare what i what i recommend one is i recommend writing out your history to the degree that you are comfortable with but I always also say like, it doesn't have to be detailed. You know, you don't have to go through, you know, how many cycles and of IVF you did, or if you want to, that's absolutely fine. But if that's triggering, I would just summarize your history. I have this many miscarriages. I would start at the top. This is a very sensitive topic for me. If it's not pertinent, if it's not relevant, please don't ask me, here's the information that you need. And I would give that to the, either send that to them. Everything here is electronic. So I can send a note to my physician's office ahead of time if that's an option. But I would also walk in with that, print it out and hand it to them. Now, you know, we all know there are plenty of people who, no matter what you say, are not going to be sensitive to this or empathetic. And so you may still be faced with this, these comments and questions. 
the problem is when we are when we're triggered, we you know you get stunned. You don't know what to say. You're you're angry. You're frustrated. You're hurting. You want to cry, um, and you can't think of what to say, or you know what to say, but for some reason we feel like saying to someone else, a doctor or anybody else, you know that's not something I want to talk about, or it's not your business. We feel like we're being rude. I mean, that's what I hear. And I I am the same way. And I hear this too. Well, I don't want to be rude. Well, that question or the comment is rude also. You are not being rude. You are setting a boundary. So what I, and I do this before I go to events, family events, friend gathering, doctor's visits. I practice the it's personal. I don't want to talk about it. I I say it in my head. I practice it in a saying it to the mirror so that when that situation comes up, I can take a step back, take a deep breath and, and then be able to say, and my voice may be shaky, but I'm still able to remember because I've practiced this so much, be able to say that's not you know, this personal or how, or whatever it is, I'm at the point, like I'm old enough now and comfortable enough. And I've practiced enough that I'm okay with saying that's not okay to say to me, or it's none of your business. That's hard for some people. And it comes with age and experience for some, for some, some people never get to that point. So figure out the wording beforehand that that you will feel comfortable with when you've practiced but definitely you need to we think it's you know what good is that going to do but that visualization of you saying these things and then practice actually practicing it and saying it to a mirror over and over helps immensely when you're in that situation it's not that you won't feel the sadness or the anger or the frustration and all the other emotions that come with this, but you'll be able to, it'll come out, roll off your tongue more easily. So, but I definitely highly recommend writing out your history and letting it know and saying, I want this on my record. I want this document on my record so that you know my history and I don't have to be asked every time. I love that. I, I personally I say to my clients, always, always practice your responses when you're not triggered because your brain just goes Zoop, and you're like, what do I say? Yeah. Do I say too much? What do I say? But I love that. I think that's a really top tip, especially I'm, I'm saying I can see them looking at my records and you want something on the top, like a post-it note, don't you say, do not ask me about this, please. <laughs> Endometriosis. That's my record. I think that's a brilliant idea. Thank you for yeah. that. That's a really top yeah. tip. I love that. Thank you, Kay. That was such a brilliant answer. I'm sure that will make a lot of people feel that they've got more agency over themselves as well when they're going to those situations. Yeah. And I don't know what the records are like elsewhere, but um, here a lot, a lot of it is electronic, but, and there are sticky notes. There are most of the programs have an electronic sticky note that says, you know, that gives you that option to put in the things that patients don't want to talk about that are, you know, we're sensitive about this. Um, so that 
if they, I, I can't imagine that the electronic records in the UK and in Australia and elsewhere don't have that option, but there, there has to be a way to let them know it's, it is absolutely fine to, and, and it's appropriate. It's a boundary that you are setting to tell your healthcare professional, I want this in my chart. So it is a, a flag that everyone will see. And it's okay to, and if you can't during the visit, because maybe face-to-face is difficult, or you're now triggered just because you're walking into the doctor's office, it's fine to send them a message or call them at a different time when you're not being triggered to say, I want this on my record. Please don't ask me about X, Y, and Z. And certainly if it's a paper chart, which I honestly miss, but (laughs) I miss the days of paper charts. And we, you know, at the front, we always had, we're able to put a sticky saying, you know, don't bring, you know, this up with the patient or they're sensitive about this. So there is always a way to do that. And you have every right to let your healthcare professional know that you want that documented on your chart. Thank you, Gar. We just had a comment come in, actually, um, about changing from a male GP to a female one uh, in order to um, address some of the issues that they were having around constantly being uh, recommended the pill, uh, which they said that they didn't want, and but it kept coming up, so they changed to a female one. I, I, I know that's difficult for every um, sort of setting in terms of doctors and things but I I actually I did that as well at one point I changed away from that male GP to the female one and I insisted on it um, because of what had happened Um, but that can be an option or or alternatively um, the other thing I did as well because when I moved I decided I wasn't gonna I was gonna actually look at the the ratings of the local GP uh, which you can do for the NHS in the UK I don't know whether that's a facility in Australia or America or other countries but it meant that actually I could look at the ratings and see what people were saying about each GP. And there was one that was more local that got some atrocious reviews and the one that I'm with is further away, but it was actually good. And I've had some good experiences there uh, with their locums and their GPs. So that that can kind of give you back that empowerment as well, can't it? By going, do you know what? Let me go and have a look at the reviews. So, yeah, thank you for that. Michael, did you want to butt in? Sorry, I see you your hand yeah, Sorry, you've got your hand <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take us off on a slightly different tack, but because um, it's not often we get a medical professional here. Uh, so there's a couple of ex- um, experiences that, that both Vicky and I have had over the time um, taking like, our own GP, uh, taking our aging parents to different GPs, and we've been able to, between the two of us, bring up subjects about childlessness. And one of the things that, that our GPs have said there's probably three or four of them so it's not a large sample size but they go oh my god you know we've got we what can you give what can you give us because we've got no resource you know we don't have anything to point these people to who are childless um is there anything you have is there any pamphlets or any anything that we could give out and that to me that that was quite shocking because i thought Really? Is in the medical profession, is childlessness actually a thing? 
that is recognised. So I would really love to hear your opinion on that, Gail. Yeah. No, it's not. I mean, that's bottom line. Is it really? It really isn't. Um, there's such a lack of understanding. So again, I'm in these physician groups, and um, they're very often women are posting it, saying, you know, I haven't found the right person. I'm, you know, how many years old? Should I freeze my eggs? And everybody's yes. Then you won't have to worry about it. I mean, even physicians don't recognize freezing your eggs is not a guarantee. There will often be people posting about the fertility struggles that they're having. And the answers are very glib. Just have IVF. I mean, there's really such a lack of understanding. And again, like I don't know anything about nothing. I don't understand a neurosurgeon. I don't understand what radiologists do. You know, so so I don't expect every other specialty to understand and know that IVF is not a guarantee. In fact, you're more likely not to get pregnant during a cycle, um, unfortunately. And so no, they don't, they don't understand. And I cannot tell you how many, when I talk about what I do and they say, well, are you childless? Yes, I am. And they get the, you can feel the discomfort, their discomfort, like they're uncomfortable because you you shouldn't that there's something wrong with you or, you know, or the, or the pity, which I greatly dislike. Um, and so, no, there is a lack of understanding. Am I, you know, I just started with a new gynecologist and, and as nice as she was, and she took time to, to talk to me, she never once asked me your child. And I didn't tell her what I do. She didn't even know I was a physician. She didn't know that I life coach. She doesn't know what I do. She didn't ask, is this a sensitive topic? Is this something you might want help with? Um, and I had women who are, you know, menopausal, postmenopausal, who are childless, who never have had, and, and they are grieving. And no one is asking them at their visits, is this something you would like help with? And nobody's recognizing that. Some of the symptoms, you know, our, our emotional, our emotions often come out in physical symptoms and nobody's putting those pieces together that, you know, you are, could be feeling this way because you are grieving and you've, you've never had help with this, but no one talks about it. Nobody asks about it. Um, and you get the answers that are just very glib or they become uncomfortable and they offer you pity and then they move on. It's like, I don't want your discomfort. I definitely don't want your pity and I don't want you to move on. Or maybe I do, maybe today I do. I don't want to talk about it, but at least give me the option of saying, you know, can I help you in some way? Can I guide you to some resource, to a therapist, to a coach, to somebody? It doesn't even 
it doesn't even get addressed. And I recently gave a talk about this, about why you shouldn't be talking about the, you know, the things not to say and not to ask. And it was meant for healthcare professionals and they just don't want to hear about it. And they truly did not want to hear about it. I know one of the things that um, still sticks with both Vicky and I is um, the very last time she went to see a gynecologist about the, the guy who did all the IVF for us. He sort of said, well, uh, yeah, look, you, you probably need to give up. Well, Vicky was close to 40. Maybe he's gone. You, you probably, yeah, it needs to, you, you probably need to stop now. And yeah, she was obviously not gobsmacked, didn't know what to say about it. You know, that's a very, as we all know, a very, very big life decision. And she walked out of his rooms with no plan, no support, no nothing. And that was, yeah, it, it took us 10 years to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> that we that there was nothing that we did that, that it was yeah it's the medical profession and i'm not having i'm not you know smashing the medical profession yeah. at all but yeah there is certainly a huge gap that was an experience i hate oh god this is terrible isn't it and it goes me too but yeah we walked out of the clinic and it was just like your eggs are scrambled that i was told the word scrambled there's just nothing there was just this gap. I had nothing. And the, and actually, I don't know about you, Michael, but certainly with, with us, it was, if you want counselling, you have to go back to the place where you suffer this trauma because there wasn't counselling anywhere else. I mean, this is what's so wonderful about um, your coaching, Gail and Sarah, the work you do and all the other counsellors and coaches out there is that there is now people can find that. But certainly my experience was that I don't want to go back to the place where really my life fell apart in order to have someone tell me in that building I mean the connotation of the building itself is really hard and actually just driving down that road again is so hard and there just wasn't anything it was just you know there you go no plan as you say there's nothing there's no real kind of like aftercare I remember having to come off all these tablets and being utterly incapable of being able to count them and having to say to my husband, can you please do that? I don't know how to do this. I don't know how I meant to do this kind of cold turkey thing. I don't know what that's like. Um, I don't know what I'm doing. And there's no one to ask. Certainly, again, I have so many trigger warnings, and I'm so sorry to anyone who's triggering, but also, again, things like taking injections and just gently touching, again, on... COVID and having to have the vaccine and needle phobia because the last time I had a needle near me was because of infertility going in and having my vaccine done with volunteers who clearly were brilliant at what they were doing and my god they were wonderful they were amazing but I had to go in and sit there and say I'm really not comfortable and I'm feeling I can feel it now actually sitting here talking about it I can feel this is hard. And I remember sitting, having the vaccine, and I think the enormity of the situation that we were in as a world, but also my little world, 
where it was hard and knowing there are other women the same and just sat there and I and this you, you had to sit for your 20 minutes or however long it was and you kind of I, I couldn't because actually if I just go home I'd just be sitting there I'd be going all the way home in tears so I just sat there in the corner of this thing and crying and someone came up to me and he said are you all right and I just said well actually I'm finding it traumatic because and he said oh well you never know it you know try again and it was just like oh god and I ran out of any energy normally you know because I suppose because of podcasts because of of being a bit sometimes being a bit gobby about these things you know I might say actually that is really inappropriate but by that point I literally like I I I I, nah I'm I'm just gonna go home I just had to go home and again it's kind of in talking about that even out there in the world and saying that this thing is a traumatic thing it was a case of you know you should be grateful for the vaccine and it's not that I'm not grateful for the vaccine it's actually you know the situation that people were in at the time and that again some of that trauma around needles again I think people with needle phobia in general are having problems but again people can have a connotation with needles for different things and I think that doesn't really ever get touched on as a problem um but it's remarkable isn't it how we are just thrown out there somehow left to cope when actually Picking us all up and doing something could be incredibly empowering. Certainly could reduce an awful lot of mental health trauma. Um, because I suspect you, if you get chucked out of one part of healthcare, you end up coming back into it in another way. And then, of course, we end up talking to, to counsellors. We may end up with more time off work because we can't cope so well. And so it's kind of like a, a roundabout kind of circle, isn't it, somehow, with all of this? Um, really hard yeah I, I guess I'm just gobsmacked at the fact that this isn't recognized by a medical profession that oh, <laughs> you would know about this there's almost like a squeamishness about it I think that comes through and uh, I was reading was a little while ago but that endometriosis is um, prolific in numbers as diabetes um, but there's this kind of squeamishness when it comes to talking around female gynecological health, um, you know, and it's, and also, uh, you know, talking about chaps as well, breast cancer, men can get breast cancer, but there's no conversations around that as almost. But when it comes to childlessness, this this complete blank, whereas, you know, we know, uh, I mean, you know, everyone that's been through IVF and people that I talk to, know that there's a high probability of it not working so it's baffling to me that actually this is just such a a blind spot it came up on the female lead actually on LinkedIn the other day and I had to go in and sit and crash out some words because it was you know it's a major kind of big thing on on LinkedIn um the female lead and they had a thing a poll are you considering egg freezing yes no and it was just like, oh, my God. And I thought, no, I try to keep it professional LinkedIn because one should. But I thought, no, actually, this is just so fucking wrong. But, you know, again, you're leading to this myth. I mean, the whole the whole account just annoys me. But occasionally just go in and just have to, roll, you know, right some wrongs and misperceptions is that 
this is not something you just kind of nip out and do. And it, this is, it comes as more of us that aren't, doesn't work, well, than there are that do. The statistics tell us that. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Michael, can I ask a quick question of you? Um, and just in, in men and men's healthcare. Would you, putting your question back to, back to you and Gail's answer, would you be comfortable as a guy going to your surgery, to your doctor and saying, look, that approach of this is what's happened to me and to my wife. Here's my notes. Does that level of sensitivity, is that also kind of a, a difference in genders? Would you be comfortable with that? Do you think men would be? Does that work for you? I can only really talk for myself um, and just say that, yeah, look, I guess age, uh, you know, knowing ailments. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'd have a problem with that. To be quite honest, I'm, I'd, I'd be quite upfront with, yeah, if we're going to talk about this, we're going to talk about it. If we're not, we're not. Um, yeah, uh, but I think that's. Yeah, look, I, th- I think there's a whole different dynamic there for me. Um, like if I if I go to my GP now, um, yeah, she's an exceptionally empathetic woman, um, so I don't need to worry about that sort of thing. But yeah, if I don't think I'd have problems with you know being upfront with anyone else. If that's that, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. I was thinking about the sort of perception because I know that um, just conversations I've had along the way, thanks to, to to being a friendship with you and also my husband as well, and just thinking mm-hmm. of how that sometimes plays around. And going back to Sarah's point as well about the general misogyny and, and how people are treated, I think, as well. It's just an interesting observation as to how it, it, yeah, it goes, goes, goes back to what Gail said about you know, men just want to get to the point. And so I just go to the doctor, go, right, this is what's happening. This, 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 this. And he'll, he or she will go, um, um, all right, uh, here's a, let, we might have to do some bloods. We may have to go for a test or we may have to do this. Thank you very much. I'm gone. Thank you. Yeah, it is. It's a difference, isn't it, in how we, how That's we, it. yeah. I mean, it's just like, yeah, here's my little, I was equated to my husband is so like, take, and I fix it <laughs> that's it isn't we'll it take, we'll take the recent um heart thing that so there was someone who, oh, they probably won't listen to this so my brother had a heart attack at quite a young age and so that sent the that sent the fear for everyone especially me similar genetic makeup so whoa so i've gone to the doctor said right this this is what's happened this is what happened to him uh, what can we do how can we investigate this so i'm in front of the ball and she's just gone, go and see him. Five minutes later, I'm out of there, we're, and I've gone to see a specialist, and we're doing an investigation. That's what a, that's what a doctor's appointment's like for me. Wow, bish, bash, bosh. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much more that, than that for me. I'll be going in like, with me with me anxiety and like, oh, God, what am I going to be asked? And here's what's I know, happening. I'll be freaking out. It'll be like a whole mental health trip. <laughs> 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 oh, but but uh, don't get me wrong. There is there's anxiety there because you know I'm I'm going in there thinking about you know am I going to have a heart attack? You know am I am I is my life coming to a close? 
So, yeah, there's anxiety, but through the activity of going to do that is uh, some, I guess, some reassurance or way for me to work that out, if that makes sense. Yeah, completely. Yeah. It's like like you got to the point with, you know, this is what's happened and this is what I want to do. And I would go in with a story (laughs) and... (laughs) And and then after you know five ten minutes, get to the point of yeah, I have this family history, and so this is what I'm concerned about. Men tip not all, but men typically like get to the point. And women, including myself, like yeah, I want to talk a little story first. <laughs> so talking talking about stories, Gail, you did the TEDx talk, didn't you? I did. I did. What yeah. was that experience like? So I will tell you that I, you know, people are commonly afraid of public speaking. Me to the point of it wasn't just public speaking. I just didn't want to be in front of anybody, including, well, this is long before Zoom. But and so even if I had to stand up on a podium with other people and I'm not speaking anything, I would I, I couldn't. And I decided I had this message and I needed to push through my fear and do this. And so it was two two purposes to this TEDx talk was one, two, I want this message to get out. And two, I need to get past this fear. So it was um, it was so empowering. It was working through the talk, writing it, working through my story, writing it and trying to get the message out so that there was an understanding. One, I wanted to include childless, not by choice, but also for people to recognize that everyone experiences loss. Let's not minimize that. And also you are normal for having the feelings that come with loss. I'm very anti-toxic positivity. If you don't, haven't heard all what I, I'm very anti-toxic positivity. I'm going to leave it at that. And so it was very empowering to be able to get this message across, to talk about childlessness, to talk about allowing feelings, to talk about not minimizing this and telling someone to just, you know, move on. Um, and in the middle of the talk is, I mean, I was absolutely terrified, but in the middle of it, I was like, I'm having fun. (laughs) And so it was, um, it, it was an amazing thing for me because I just never envisioned myself having fun, public speaking, I was nervous, but um, just the empowerment of getting this message across overcame the the nervousness. And um, my voice, my voice, you may not recognize it, but it was shaky as I listened to it, but not as shaky as it has been in the past when I've you know, when you go through residency and all that, you have to give talks and, oh man, like 
in typically when you're a resident, when you're in training or a fellow and you're giving talks, the older physicians will grill you with questions afterwards. And they would never do that to me because my voice was shaking so badly. He pitied me. <laughs> so nobody would like bombard me with the questions. So this talk, when I listen to it, I'm like, I hear the shakiness, but it's others don't because it's not what I used to experience. I don't know if that answered your question, but it was an amazing experience no, no, to the point where I that, listened to another one. <laughs> no, that's what I wanted. To, I just wanted your, your perspective on, on what it was like. So congratulations and kudos to you for challenging that fear that you have. Thank you. And for anybody else who has, as a message that you, whether it's to do with childlessness or anything else, I highly, highly recommend doing a TEDx talk because it, it it is empowering to know you have this audience listening to your message and, and, and it's an important message. So I highly recommend yeah, it. Nominating on TEDx. I think that's how you do it. I think that's what it, I can't remember process but i don't think they pick you you can nominate people though i have to nominate you again gail so you get a second oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we've had some stuff in, in some comments in in the chat as well since we've been talking and um we don't name people but the person who's put this comment actually i know works for the nhs and has said that um not all notes are electronic in the UK, so it might well be that it's different in other countries as well. And um, you could tell your gynecologist you don't want to speak about something, but if you went to see another specialty, um, then you cannot look through all of the previous records and they're told that it's not an area of expertise and they can't necessarily look at that area. So if you went, presumably for one particular thing to do with gynecology if you went for something else they may well ask you again because they wouldn't have access to that particular part of the file I think I'm right in um in summarizing that I'm hoping that the this person put some comments back if not but also that it's not actually shared between different areas as well so if you're treated in Kent and you went to Scotland the hospital in Scotland might not know um your medical records so it feels like the answer there is probably that sounds awful but you have to kind of keep this paper this printout with you um that's pretty tough to do but maybe that's the answer to that but that's not again possibly not so efficient um yeah. as it's in the u.s and that obviously will vary i guess in different countries around the world bearing in mind where all of our listeners come from too um but also to touch on another comment which is that of course people who like you work in healthcare having to ask those questions themselves because they they have to as well and um this person is saying that they have to ask because of um about children due to genetic links in cancer care and that's really hard and again another area that that, that needs support it's the staff within and patients too it's it's both ways isn't it it is yeah contribution those questions are really really great and there's observations as well yeah. yeah and so what i what i when i've given this lecture to healthcare professionals about you know how you have this conversation i always 
tell them you just because someone doesn't want to talk about it sometimes you still need to like for instance um you know if, if there's genetic risks for cancer or other um other diseases but there's a way to present it where you explain first you don't just you know oh so do you have any x y and z just a very simple you know this may be something sensitive to you but i this is why i have to ask about it um again when i explain this physicians often don't want to hear that um it's like it's just a, a simple statement showing some sensitivity and and explaining to someone why it's needed because we often don't know i mean i've been asked things as a physician from another specialty they're asking me and i'm thinking why do you need to know this and i said why are you asking this and they explain but tell me first even if it doesn't have to do with fertility issues or childlessness it's so there's really no reason why we can't stop and think that you don't you didn't go to medical school or to whatever your field you know if you're a nurse practitioner whatever this person didn't go through that they're not going to know why you're asking this um but unfortunately in healthcare they don't want to don't want to hear this but it is a very simple this may be sensitive for you this is why i have to ask about it yeah and that victim again isn't it i hate to use the word victim it's not the right word but it's i can't think of another one off the top of my head but it's 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 where we have to then ask or explain when actually if it was the other way around it's just just alleviates some of that pressure yeah 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 well i guess it also context helps us understand why they need it because we've uh, we've come into this gone well you know we've got scenarios where they don't need it and then that that gets us i guess defensive or you know trying to protect ourselves but actually you know like the example we had if you're if you're unfortunately having cancer treatment you need to have that question to go look we need to know whether you've passed potentially passed it on to somebody else through genetics that to me, we've got, oh, okay, that makes sense. Okay, I can take off my protective armor now and I can answer that question. So that makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, what's your future plans then, Gal? Have you got any anything coming up where you're talking about this further? Because it's such a fascinating topic, isn't it? It is. I am I don't have anything scheduled, but I'm working with some people to to bring this to light because it's it's as I'm doing more coaching and hearing more stories, I get more infuriated. <laughs> and so my way of dealing with that is I need to change the system. And so that's what, you know, even a simple, I've had people complain, understandably, that, you know, they ask me if I'm pregnant or trying to get pregnant. And nobody explained that the reason that they're asking is because they're ordering an x-ray. Again, a very simple, I have to ask because we're ordering an x-ray and we need to know if you're pregnant or I'm ordering this medication. I need to know if it's going to potentially affect a pregnancy. It takes 
five seconds to say that. And um, so if you can't tell, I'm very passionate about how you communicate with patients in terms of reproductive history and in general, um, just because I share the frustrations as a patient, but also as hearing from my patients, my clients about the really insensitive um, behaviors and approaches to healthcare visits. So it's a topic that's, <laughs> you know, just even, you know, my husband had surgery, as I said, recently, and the doctor said to him before the surgery, I was sitting there with him and I heard it, you won't have any pain after. And then, and right before, that was a visit before the surgery. And then the day of, in the pre-op area, she said the same thing. Again, she doesn't know I'm a physician. And each time I'm thinking, like, I know what you're going to be doing. It's not my specialty, but I know what you're going to be doing. You're taking a piece of an organ out. <laughs> you're, you know, you're using all this, doing all this manipulation on his body. And how can that not hurt? And it was like, and he did, and he went, you know, afterwards he was shocked that he was in pain, in significant pain. And I was so furious afterwards that this doctor has obviously never talked to her patients afterwards and really understood what they go through. So it's, it's, it's something I'm, I'm very passionate about it, it when it comes to childlessness, but also um, in, in general. I love that. It's, it's, it is managing expectations, isn't it? You know, even if it's not the childlessness stuff, it's that being honest, isn't it? Yeah, you, you, you're going to be in a bit of pain, I'm afraid. <laughs> we've, we've been tinkering yeah. with your organs. I'm afraid it's going to hurt. But it's. I think yeah. it's... All of that really sort of permeates through when you combine it with the squeamishness and the the blind spots. And it, it makes for a very frustrating, triggering uh, um, experience for people that haven't been able to have children, don't necessarily understand the process that they're going through or why they're being asked it. And, you know, I, my work with, uh, you know, clients and my experience has been you have to slap the armour on and you're waiting for the trigger. So as soon as they say, that, that question do you have children why do you want to know and you're instantly de defensive because you're like what's that got to do with anything so it's kind of a um, almost like a meeting in the middle if your communication is good I, I then understand why you're asking and then perhaps I don't need to slap the armor on I can be okay with it but it's it's a fascinating area it's so you know obviously with the number of people in this community it, it impacts so many people it's just such an invisible topic isn't it it is. Yeah, it really is. Um, so I, I am going to keep writing about it <laughs> and keep talking about it because it's, you know, obviously near and dear to my heart. <laughs> um, but, you know, if I can just change one healthcare professional at a time, <laughs> more would be better, but I, I'll start with one at a time. <laughs>
I love that. Just got a picture us with pom poms on, going, "Yay, go girl, go girl!" <laughs> oh, I'm going to keep that in my head. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone in the in our chat will be very, very keen to do that too with you. Um, it's going a bit wild. I'll, I'll ju- can I just put it out there? I won't be use pom poms, but I'll wear okay. a t-shirt. Gail Miller. All right. Oh, you look great in pom poms. <laughs> thank you so much gail we're going to stop recording now um so that we can invite anyone in thank you for listening we hope you found gail's work as inspiring as we did by members of our full stop community in our audience some of whom work in the nhs and in healthcare across europe and other parts of the world and we've shared some of their questions in our audio after we ended the recording, they had a powerful discussion with Gail and lots of ideas took shape. And we're keeping in touch with everyone to find out more. And you're welcome to contact Gail or us if you'd like to create change with us. All the details are on our show notes on our website, www.thefullstoppod.com. Here you can also sign up for our listeners list newsletter, which keeps you up to date with what's going on in our world. And you can find out more about joining the Full Stop community. As ever, it's important for us to let you know you are not alone. That sounds like a good point to close on pom poms. <laughs> yeah, so I love that. Closing on pom poms. <laughs> Why not? <laughs>